Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is on assignment tonight. Telus Health has agreed to make changes to its Life Plus program after the BC Medical Services Commission filed an injunction last year. Richard Zussman shows us why the province felt it had to step in to protect universal health care. Taken to task. What the settlement does is bring them in compliance with the act. The BC Medical Services Commission reaching a settlement with TELUS. The company can no longer accept new patients for the TELUS Life Plus program, a pay-for-access service costing between three dollars to $5,000 a year for personalized preventative health care. We remain steadfast in our commitment to uphold the Medicare Protection Act. The changes will ensure TELUS no longer charges for publicly funded health services, but those currently enrolled can keep access to their family doctor. It's possible that... TELUS was operating in a gray area, and because of that now, people have been able to pay their way uh, to securing a family doctor, and of course that's unfair. The full settlement between the Medical Services Commission and TELUS will not be released to the public. We are not seeing a real level of transparency. We're just getting uh, talking points from the minister. In a statement, TELUS says it continues to be dedicated to delivering health care in the province and will continue to operate its MyCare service currently funded by MSP. The settlement concludes that TELUS will not face any financial penalties. This is not about um, punishing people. This is about providing services for patients. This action was taken by the commission to protect patients. TELUS originally maintained Life Plus did not charge for medically insured services. The BC Greens worried there are not enough checks and balances in place to prevent pay-for-access health care. We have seen travel nurses and agency nurses uh, increasingly being used to fill the gaps in our hospital system. The province still trying to make headway on the family doctor crisis, where there was once more than a million British Columbians without a family doctor. That number now down to around 900,000. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, new data confirms family practice is not the top choice for the next generation of doctors. Every year in Canada, medical students get matched with residency positions to train in their fields of choice. But this year, in the first round of matches, more than 260 spots went unfilled in family medicine. That's nearly one out of every five family doctor positions. Family medicine has become a field where we're seeing fewer and fewer medical students choose to work in family medicine. And, and what's even more concerning is we've seen trends, trends amongst family physicians where fewer family doctors are working in comprehensive outpatient family medicine. The previous years, uh, last 2022, there were 225 unfilled family medicine positions uh, in, the, in the first iteration and uh, about 150 of those, I think, maybe a little less, uh, uh, you know, were filled in the second iteration. So it's a pattern that, uh, that is quite common uh, over the years. So the second round of matching happens this week and there's still hope 
that those vacant spots will be filled, although it might be unlikely to fill all of them. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now to talk more specifically about British Columbia. And Keith, the province has really been on an aggressive campaign to hire more family doctors. What are the numbers like? Yeah, numbers released today are encouraging. We're doing better than other provinces, despite what that national study has to say. So there's a new fee program, a new compensation program for doctors, trying to move family doctors away from fee-for-service into a salary structure. $375,000 a year is the maximum, and it seems to be attractive. Here's the latest numbers as of today. 2,893 uh, doctors have now registered for this new program. That's a 54% increase in just six weeks. Includes 177 locums and about 168 doctors who who didn't bill in the previous year. So those are new doctors coming onto the scene. Very encouraging. Adrian Dix, sales minister today, also pointed out when it comes to retaining physicians, people who get trained here, how many remain here? And we're doing better than other provinces. Here's Minister Dix. When we train doctors here, uh, they stay here. So 80% of the doctors we train in BC, graduates in BC, it's time to stay in BC. That number is 60% in Alberta. In fact, 20% of Alberta doctors come to BC, 8% of BC doctors, young doctors go to Alberta. So we're doing well. This is a good place to work, and we want BC doctors delivering services to BC patients. So that's doctors. We also got some somewhat encouraging news when it comes to nurses today. So BC attracted the number of nurses in BC went up by about 6.7% last year. That contrasts to a decline in the number of nurses in Alberta of less than 1% and an increase in Ontario of just 1.7%. So we seem to be doing better when it comes to attracting doctors and nurses, but we've got an exploding population. This is going to be an ongoing problem. You heard Richard say the number of people with uh, family doctors without family doctors is now dropped below 900,000 down from a million. That's it's still 900,000 people. That's a lot of people that are a family doctor. Yeah, a huge hole that still needs to be filled. All right, thanks very much, Keith. All right. Now to a vicious attack caught on camera. A passenger punching an Uber driver who has been unable to work since the beating last week. Now, as Krista Dow reports, he is adding his voice to calls for the B.C. government to expand protection and benefits for gig workers. There are only a few seconds of calm before the Uber passenger starts throwing punches. The assault then moves outside where the violence continues. This happened last Tuesday night in Abbotsford. The passenger became irate over the route choice. Outside of the car also he attacked on my neck and he threw me on the ground. It's numb. And when I start moving my arm, then it's getting electric shorts. Police were called, but the man took off. And despite the app requiring personal details and the clear video, Abbotsford police say it's not that simple when it comes to an arrest. Uber cannot just give the police that information, that personal information of that person. So the police have to write production orders or search warrants to obtain that information lawfully, uh, which takes time. Uber calls the behavior disturbing and unacceptable and says it has banned the rider's account and will work with police. So, In Victoria, Amansud says he's been unable to work since. He and others are now calling for changes to allow gig workers to access benefits if they're hurt on the job. We think that they're misclassified right now uh, and they should be deemed workers and they should be covered by the Workers' Compensation Board and the WorkSafe programs. If the government can, they must be very strictly um, rule on them that uh, they are following the standard of the safety or not. If they cannot follow the standard, they must ban them. Labour Minister Harry Bain says changes are on the way. The employer, no matter who they are, 
their responsibility is the health and safety of, the, of, the, of their employees. And when they are injured, when they are ill, then what kind of support is available to them? Sood is now questioning his future as an Uber driver, but says he'll continue speaking out in hopes of protecting others. Krista Dow, Global News. A Quebec man who shot at paramedics and police officers in the West Kootenai area last fall has been sentenced to six years in prison. Last October, Mounties were called to the ambulance station in Trail after 29-year-old Francis Paradis tried to enter the building and was reportedly acting erratically. When officers arrived, he fired at them as well as three paramedics. No one was hurt in that incident. This week, Parody was sentenced for a number of firearms offenses, all of which will be served together. He also received a lifetime firearm ban. One of B.C.'s leading toxicologists says drugs can't explain Miles Gray's behavior or his death. Gray died after a violent confrontation with police near the Vancouver-Burnaby border almost eight years ago. Kristen Robinson has the latest from the inquest. Miles Gray's post-mortem revealed no alcohol and no confirmed steroids. While mitrogenine, a naturally occurring drug with mild opioid effects, was confirmed in the original toxicology report, the Provincial Toxicology Center's Dr. Aaron Shapiro testified his review found it did not meet the criteria for detection, and if there, it was not at a concentration it would be considered toxic. The psychoactive ingredient in cannabis was detected, but its presence only indicates prior use of cannabis products in the month or so prior to his death. VPD officers have testified Gray was animalistic with superhuman strength, and they believed he may have been on drugs. They thought he was under the influence. Of, he wasn't under the influence of drugs. Around the block from here, in Metrotown, we can find people acting erratically, and some of them aren't drugged. So the question is, how do we deal with that? Well, we ought not to deal with that by starting with pepper spray and following up with batons. The officers attempting to arrest an unarmed Gray have testified they used significant force, including baton strikes, pepper spray, chokeholds, kicks, and punches to subdue him. While being restrained on August 13, 2015, the 33-year-old went into cardiac arrest and died. Advanced life support paramedic Jeanette Ziegler testified Gray was swollen with quite a few injuries to the side of his head, blood to his mouth, elongated red bruising to his thigh. Quote, I remember that picture is still in my mind. For 30 minutes, she and her partner tried to save Gray, focusing on high-performance CPR and moving to intubation when Stephen Shipman had difficulty ventilating the patient. Ziegler testified they were not able to resuscitate Mr. Gray's heart. Shipman told the inquest Tuesday, he was dead when we got there. It's very distressing what I heard, but it was nice to know that there were people there that wanted to save his life. Under questioning, support crew paramedic Scott McEwen testified Gray's black and blue condition was visually traumatizing. The patient's blood seemed very viscous and thick, quote, a good indication of significant lack of oxygen to the body. You don't see that often, he told the inquest. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A suspect has been arrested in a brazen downtown Victoria jewelry store robbery. Surveillance video captured a man using a hammer to smash the display cases in the store on the afternoon of April 15th. Staff used chairs to try to contain the suspect, but he eventually got away with an expensive watch and several rings. Victoria police say they arrested the man over the weekend. Charges are pending, but officers say he was also wanted on six other warrants so he will remain in custody.
The Vault Cafe in Nanaimo is struggling to stay afloat after repeated attacks by vandals. Supporters are rallying to help, but as Kylie Stanton shows us, the Vault is dealing with a reality that many other businesses are facing too. Boarded up yet again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate. I think it's a shame. This is the seventh time the Vault Coffee Shop in downtown Nanaimo has had its windows broken in a little over a month. Sometimes they're just smashed. Others, merchandise is taken as well. It's very frustrating to see it happen at such a popular spot, a venue that's been strongly supported by the community. Of all the people to be vandalized, this really is one that's quite offensive. This was the second window that got vandalized. It's a similar situation in Kelowna, where roughly 30 businesses in the Pandozi village area have been vandalized windows etched and tagged. It's going to be incredibly costly uh, at a time where restaurants really can't afford to be replacing windows. This is definitely insane for, for Kelowna to look like this. Enough is enough! For months, communities across BC have been calling on senior levels of government to take action. Do something about it. That's what we're trying to do. Victims of crime even confronting officials head on. None of you guys, after I got shot, made a single effort to communicate with me. And while commitments have been made specific to repeat violent offenders, advocates say it's equally important to deal with the social disorder that's crushing downtown businesses. On Thursday, rallies are planned in seven cities across the province to drive that point home. We'll keep pressuring them as long as it it's, is required for the situation on the ground to actually improve. Many communities have grant funding businesses can access if property is damaged through a break-in, vandalism or graffiti. In Nanaimo, compensation is limited to $1,000 per instance and only twice in a calendar year. But the province says it's looking to expand on that. What we're doing is listening to small businesses and talking to them about what types of supports might be helpful. Until that happens, the vault has no choice but to turn to the community for help. A GoFundMe has now surpassed $6,000. What that tells you is that people do care, but it also tells you that they're tired of seeing this happen. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Double-decker portables discussed in a raucous question period. This is a classic example. We'll double the amount of money we spend to get double the worst results. I mean, it's unbelievable. Opposition slams the NDP government for its failure to find a solution to overcrowded schools. Vancouver's oldest nightclub and how it manages to stay young more than a century after it opened. That's later on the news hour. Plus, why educators are worried about students using artificial intelligence and how it might not be all bad. That's coming up. Right now, though, we are hearing more today from parents very concerned about the shortage of space in Surrey schools. Even at brand new schools, a growing number of classes are being taught in portables. And as Janet Brown reports, Surrey's population growth is outpacing school capacity so fast, stacking portables might be the only solution. If we had had a little bit of forethought, this wouldn't be necessary. Edgewood Elementary in Grandview Heights only opened two years ago, and already it has seven portables and is slated to have 15 by the summer. Parents aren't happy. The development isn't going to cease anytime soon. So I believe what's happening right now is that we're essentially putting the cart before the horse. We're not preparing for the density that's coming. 
The school board says district-wide there will soon be roughly 10,000 students in about 400 portables. This will be actually mirrored exactly over there. That's how many portables will be starting to be installed in July. In order for even the children in portables to have a school, we would need seven new elementaries and two high schools as of today. The Surrey Teachers Association says the money to pay for portables comes from the operating budget, which also pays for teachers. For every one portable that is ordered, that means that they cannot hire two classroom teachers. And so given that we're in a shortage, given that we're in a population increase of students, that's like 70 teachers that are not going to be in the system to support those kids. The education minister admits the funding pressures, but as for a solution when it comes to portables? Always uh, uh, ready to talk uh, about these issues uh, with the school districts. We are talking with the, all the school districts about their funding pressures, uh, about their needs, and this is a talk that we will keep on doing. Because portables take up playgrounds and space is limited, the district says it may have to consider stacking portables on top of each other, requiring special foundations, eating up even more of the operating budget. Janet Brown, Global News. Now the issue of school uh, double-decker school portables was front and center in question period in the B.C. legislature today. B.C. United MLAs not holding back, accusing the NDP of breaking their promise to eliminate portables from Surrey schools. Here is where we are at now in Surrey under this premier, this minister, this NDP government. Double-decker portables. Double-decker portables. That is what we're, that is the vision for the NDP in Surrey. Members, So, please. you know what? Here's what this premier is doing. He's emptying prisons and he's double-bunking students. Mr. Speaker, we are creating 10,000 new seats in Surrey, and that is equivalent to 400 uh, new classrooms. We know uh, that Surrey, uh, we, uh, more than 250,000 people made British Columbia their home, and many of them chose Surrey, and rightly so. Students at a unique Vancouver program have walked out of class ahead of a last-ditch effort to save their school. Students at Ideal Mini School marched to the Vancouver School Board this afternoon. The demonstration comes as trustees get set to meet tonight to hear from supporters of the program. There's been anger and frustration since the decision to move the 125 or so students to nearby Churchill Secondary by September. Students say there's been a lack of consultation and understanding about what ideal has meant to them. A lot of people come to this school because they um, are looking for academic enrichment with a tight-knit community. And it is really hard to have that when you're inside a school with 2,000 kids. My scholastic life, my social life have both completely like turned around since I've gotten here. The teachers are really wonderful and you see them every single day. Like They know you, you know them, and it's the same with everyone there. The Vancouver School Board says the move is being made because there's no more room for students at nearby Laurier Elementary. Tonight's meeting is set for 6 p.m. Up next, unveiling the design for the new PE Amphitheater. There will be options for you to be very comfortable in that venue, uh, even though it's open sided. The unique look and sound of the new performance venue, and who's paying for it coming up. Plus, the decision Vancouver City Council just made about cutting the cost of parking in Chinatown. Good evening. Waiting for a tow truck to arrive on scene to this two-car crash in downtown Vancouver that has westbound Pender blocked at Broughton. 
Integra Tire is proud to serve the communities they are part of. Contact your local dealer today and get up to $100 in tire rebates. Integra Tire, truly local. Interest you in Global One, high above a crash in downtown Vancouver. The design for the PNE's stunning new amphitheater has been revealed to the public. If all goes according to plan, the first concerts will hit the stage within three years. And with the addition of a roof, officials are hoping the venue will be a year-round attraction. Grace Key reports. The PNE Amphitheater will be the premier home for performances. It's the first look at the future of the PNE Amphitheater. The 10,000-seat venue will have one of the largest timber-arched roofs in the world and will host a variety of music and culture events year-round, more than 75 performances a year. It will include private hospitality suites, banquet rooms, and VIP seating areas. Building special memories for artists and guests, for decades to come. The roof isn't just for visual appeal or protection from the elements. For the neighbors, it's engineered to act as a sound barrier and hopefully keep the noise level down. We explored a lot of different concepts, including like a high-tech tensile roof with fabric, kind of like BC Place. We explored something like that, but that actually sort of starts to waffle sound into the neighborhood. So we moved away from that to an arched structure that's got a hard roof to really quell the sound down and keep it within the amphitheater. And that was a major design constraint for us and sort of aligned well with this solution. The PE announced it's also putting out a nationwide call, naming rights for the amphitheater, with a term no less than 10 years. But an open call is really to let the market tell us what this property is worth. And it is pretty spectacular. Uh, I know that there are a number of organizations that have already reached out to, ha to have those conversations. And I expect a very competitive process. Um, so. I can't tell you what that number is going to be, but I expect it to be a very strong investment. The current amphitheater was built in 1966. Two years ago, Vancouver City Council approved the $65 million upgrade. The city is fronting the money with full payback expected within 12 years. Construction is set to begin early next year and completed in the summer of 2026. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver City Council has approved a plan to cut parking fees in Chinatown. The motion will cut the cost to park in the neighborhood to a flat rate of $2 per hour. That move is designed to help the community attract customers and visitors back into Chinatown. Right now, there are six different rate zones around the six blocks of Chinatown, and the cost to park can be as high as $5 an hour. The changes to the parking system are just one piece of the new council's stated goal to help revitalize the historic neighborhood. Or Five disastrous years with COVID and all the anti-Asian um, uh, graffiti and uh, vandalism in the neighborhood. This is just uh, one of the uh, uh, number of initiatives that the city has uh, brought forward. And this is really a, a low-lying fruit for us. In January, the city delivered a $2.2 million action plan to help revitalize Chinatown. The parking part of it is expected to cost the city about $350,000 in lost parking revenue every year. Coming up, exploring the risks and the rewards of artificial intelligence. Academic integrity is really important to us. From fake music to phony essays, all the ways to watch out for cheaters coming up. Plus, the class of 2023, a special graduation ceremony for a group of students who are positively transforming lives. 
from tax season tips to everyday savings tricks. If it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. Good evening. Traffic is in good shape over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge. There is some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve through Richmond. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $14 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The use of artificial intelligence is becoming more popular and more available. Everything from cartoon self-portraits to computer-generated audio and videos are circulating online. And while AI often seems like a new form of art or entertainment, it's also a growing concern at schools. Are you ready for best pizza of life? Bring friends down to Pepperoni Hug Spot. A computer-generated pizza commercial. Winnipeg's skyline in watercolor. And a new Nirvana song made by AI nearly three decades after the singer passed. It seems artificial intelligence is being used everywhere these days and for anything. Yeah. Including places it perhaps shouldn't be, like in post-secondary institutions. University of Manitoba Academic Integrity Specialist Francois Jordan says there's a time and place to use AI in academics. Some of the wrong ways is that if they use it to, to cheat or to plagiarize. We used AI website ChatGPT to write a 400-word essay on artificial intelligence. It took less than 45 seconds. Academic integrity is really important to us, uh, but academic integrity breach is not something new to us. So students have always had tools that they can use to breach integrity. While the issue isn't new, it's one post-secondary schools are keeping an eye on. And the only way of really screening for it is through the instructors, if they notice a change in their students' work or language. Writing an assignment or writing a paper in many regards is, is like fingerprints, unique for each student. The U of M is also educating students on ethical ways to use AI, with some instructors even allowing it for certain assignments or courses. If they reference ChatGPT uh, and they're allowed to do so, then it, that would be okay. But if used to cheat, it could land students in hot water, ranging from an F grade, a year-long suspension, or even being expelled. A reason why Jordan says students should think twice before taking shortcuts. It's just not worth it. You might not get caught, that's true, but if you do, your, the consequences are severe. Marnie Blunt, Global News. A special way to mark International Guide Dog Day for a Vancouver woman this morning. Valerie Williams graduated as part of the Canadian National Institute for the Blind's Guide Dogs Class of 2023, along with her partner Flanders. Williams and the Yellow Lab Golden Retriever Cross are one of only 15 teams to cross the stage across the country. CNIB President Diane Bergeron says today marks a new chapter for a lot of families as they quickly learn to adjust to how life-changing dogs can be. I was very afraid to go out to a lot of places just because if I was going to an unfamiliar place it just it, it caused me a lot of fear to go out with the cane and then I decided to get my first guide dog, and from the minute that handle went into my hand, it just changed my confidence level, it changed the way I saw the world, 
the way I moved. I now move very quickly and uh, my confidence grew. Bergeron says this graduating class is much smaller than normal because of the border closures during the pandemic, but she's expecting a much bigger group in 2024. Congratulations to her Flanders. Still ahead, why Celebrities Nightclub is a true survivor. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of energy that has been put out in this particular room. Vancouver's oldest nightclub marching to its own beat since 1914. A tour from Squire coming up. And an Okanagan man who's getting a second chance to witness a coronation. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. Well, it seems like we've waited months for spring to arrive. We'll get a couple of days of it and then right into summer. Yeah, you're, it, it has been months. I meant to actually look at the details as to when we've had these temperatures in the past. I'll get that back, get back to you on that because uh, I actually didn't look into it because we actually have high stream flow advisories today, Chris, that were just issued and it's because of the warmth that we're expecting. So we're going to see a, a surge in the uh, snow melt. So I wanted to just keep you uh, up to date though in terms of uh, high stream flow advisory means that no imminent flooding or major flooding is expected. Now, nonetheless, there is the potential for it. So that's why they're issuing the high stream flow advisory and they'll be watching things very closely. This is, of course, the BC River Forecast Centre. So at this point, it includes the southern interior, the Okanagan Valley area, all the way up through the lower Thompson and then extending up towards the Caribou region. It includes the middle Fraser as well as the upper Fraser region as well. So areas like Prince George are watching down towards Quinell as well. So these are the areas we'll be watching very closely in the days to come. It's a wide area, as you can well see, because uh, we are going to see incredible conditions. This was the interior regions today, but I wanted to show you the temperatures. There you go. So a surge. So we're talking about upper 20s as we head into the weekend. There'll be a brief dip on Monday, but then a warm uh, a surge once again. And uh, thankfully, it's not too long at this point, but we'll be watching it very closely. But it's enough to sort of start to create that snow melt. It looks like in the middle, uh, sort of mid layer of the snow or mid elevation is what I'm trying to say. Higher elevation is is uh, uh, not looking too bad in terms of that warm-up. Here's a look at the instability across the region today. That's going to shift out overnight, and we're left with sunshine. Those of you across the north coast, though, it's not quite the same. We are expecting showers in Prince Rupert, but otherwise temperatures soaring into the 20s, and you can expect upper 20s into the weekend. So for our region, 18 for Nanaimo, 16 for Vancouver, 22 degrees away from the water, and potentially 26, 27 degrees come Friday and into Saturday. Again, this is away from the water for those temperatures. The number that you see there is near the water. So it's going to feel like summer, that's for sure, Chris. Dust off the patio furniture. You will be able to use it this weekend. This is from Kootenai Lake. Joy McAdams sharing this, this and, uh, with us. This is from when we had the Aurora Borealis a couple nights ago. There was still quite a bit of cloud cover across the province, but she captured a little bit of it, as you can see here. Beautiful shot. And I will say Jane had the power washer out a couple of days ago, so... Good you know timing. what? I knew she would be the first one to get the, the uh, patio <laughs> furniture out. I had she, no doubt, Jane. She has that reputation. All right. Thanks yeah. very much, Christy. In just under two weeks, King Charles will be officially crowned. This will be the first coronation for many Canadians. However, one Okanagan resident remembers the past coronation very well because he watched Queen Elizabeth pass right by him. 
Global's Jasmine King has more. Participated in the uh, coronation itself and the naval review later in Portsmouth. Ahead of the crowning of a new king, Carl Zanin of West Kelowna is taking a trip back in time, 70 years to be exact, to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II when he was there in person. This is Nelson, British Columbia, uh, 16 years old, and then all of a sudden being selected to represent British Columbia and as part of a 12 sea cadets. Zanin traveled to Halifax with the Canadian Sea Cadet Contingent, where he boarded the HMCS Magnificent to sail across the Atlantic. Days ahead of his trip, Zanin was given a camera to document the journey. That was a gift by the local uh, group, um, black and white, of course, and um, and, and so that it got me interested in that subject. Zanin captured pictures on board the carriers at famous landmarks and on the day of the coronation where he stood outside when the Queen passed by on the gold state coach. This is my photograph. Uh, we were situated in uh, Westminster Abbey. We saw the Queen arrive and we saw her leave. It, it was really, really impressive, the details that they went to, not only for us, but all the things that they were doing. So it was quite a, an adventure. Zanin hasn't spoke much about his trip until recently at local Diamond and Platinum Jubilee celebrations where he gave a speech about the Queen. He says he didn't think it would be this long between coronations. So and the parades, the details that went into it. And we have now uh, 70 plus years later and I hope King Charles III is going to get the same treatment, and I wish him well. Zanin says he didn't appreciate the once-in-a-lifetime trip at the time, but remembers his commanding officer telling him to savor the moment. He was so excited that I got selected, and, you know, I just didn't appreciate what was coming. And he could envision that, and that, an example of the difference in expectation. King Charles III's coronation is on May 6th, and Zanin says he'll be tuned in to see every moment. Jasmine King, Global News, West Kelowna. A lot of people will, no doubt. Okay, we'll bring in Squire now with a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Well, we're going to uh, show you what's happening with the Abbotsford Canucks. It's game one of their best of five series against the best team in the American Hockey League, the Calgary Wranglers. Got the work cut out for them. All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up, if this space doesn't bring magic, you're done. The fascinating history of Celebrities Nightclub, keeping the party going since 1914. play when BC needs to connect BC turns to the source that brings us together global news glad we can still cheer on the Canucks yeah down around two the Abbotsford Canucks mm -hmm. not the Vancouver Canucks not that you thought we meant the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> Uh, the Abbotsford Canucks have started round two of the American Hockey League playoffs against a team Named after a pair of jeans, but the Calgary Wranglers were the best team in the AHL this season, so 
In this best of five, Abbotsford is most definitely the underdog. Let's go to the one day to be completely outdated Saddle Dome. I mean, it already is, but they will have a new arena. Nils Hoaglander, great chance, and basically puts this over the bar. Now, they're facing the best goalie in the American Hockey League, Dustin Wolf, and he's been making saves in the first period and getting a bit lucky as well. And then the uh, Wranglers get really lucky because Chase Waters puts this in his own net. Spencer Martin starting for Abbotsford. Tough break. Dryden Hunt gets credit for the goal, 1-0 in the first period for Calgary. Brad Marchand, a favorite in Boston. Not so sure about everywhere else. But he scores a goal here for the Bruins. Now, no team has been knocked out of the playoffs yet in the NHL. But if Florida loses this game, they'll be out. The Bruins' goal there makes it 1-1. It was 2-2. And then West Vancouver's Sam Reinhart gave Florida a 3-2 lead in the third. But Taylor Hall has tied it. So 3-3, Boston and Florida. Now, before this Major League Soccer season began, Vancouver Whitecaps head coach Vanny Sartini predicted that the players who joined the Whitecaps partway through last season would be far more comfortable in his system after going through a full training camp and then starting the season in Vancouver. And in the case of Julian Gressel, he's right. Gressel has certainly been one of the Whitecaps' most consistent players so far this season. The Vancouver Whitecaps are seeing the best version of Julian Gressel. He's started all eight MLS matches for Vancouver and has found his way onto the score sheet in all but three. It's in stark contrast to his inaugural Caps campaign last season. Acquired in July, Gressel managed just two goals and two assists on 11 starts and 14 appearances across all competitions. But it's worth cutting in some slack when you realize what goes into uprooting your family and coming to a new team mid-season. You know, it was so new last year. Like, uh, basically until I got here after preseason, we didn't really, you know, have a, a, an apartment that we had rented. We just lived out of an Airbnb last year, and then everything was, um, was so new that you kind of just live you know, almost day by day and week by week. All right, now that he's comfortably settled in, we're about to find out the Caps' comfort level when it comes to keeping Gressel here in Vancouver. He's on the final year of a contract, paying him just under a million dollars. 969,781 to be exact. It is currently money well spent, and with him being arguably the Caps' best player thus far this season, it's hard not to think that his value is going up and up and up. Safe to assume you'd like to see him renegotiate and stay here? Yeah, yeah, for the Whitecaps, yes. Uh, that being said, I I'm in my last year of contract too, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, no, for sure, he's an important player. I think if he keeps playing like this, everyone wants to see him staying at the Whitecaps even next year. Gressel down the right side, what a ball, that is Vasquez with a header! And the U.S. have that opening goal! Earlier in the year, Gressel earned his first ever call-up to the United States men's national team. He's made two more appearances since then, so there's no denying that his game is reaching new heights. This is from someone who can slot in as a midfielder, wingback, or fullback. And with all due respect to his German heritage, when it comes to the Whitecaps, he's become their dependable Swiss army knife on the pitch. Yes, he's a guy who can truly do it all. But yeah, it's definitely definitely something that I've tried to be um, my whole career. And, and this is now year seven, so I'm, I'm certainly trying to, trying to continue that. Well, it was Aaron Rodgers' first full day of being the new pilot for the New York Jets. He said at his first press conference that he doesn't know 
what his future will hold beyond this coming season. But we do know his number has changed. Instead of wearing number 12, like you can see in the picture beside me, he's now going to be number eight because the Jets retired their number 12 in honor of Joe Namath. Namath said maybe he would unretire the number for Rogers, but Rogers said no thanks. He'll take number eight. He can't be Broadway Joe. That was his old college number. Uh, he also wanted to be traded to the Jets because he thinks this team is on the verge of being one of the best in the NFL with a strong defense and decent offensive weapons. This is building right now. And what Coach has done the last couple of years, uh, he's building something special the right way with the right values, uh, the right type of leadership. And I think I can just fit in perfectly. I'm not here to be a savior of any kind. I'm just here to be uh, the best quarterback I can be to lead authentically and to inspire the guys around me to raise their level of play to uh, to an even greater greater spot. Oh no, Jets fans expect you to be the savior. <laughs> Doesn't they matter might have what different you expectations. Just said. They have different expectations <laughs> than you might. That's true. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Really looking forward to this up next, a trip down memory lane at a nightclub that just won't quit more than a century after it opened. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, a sad symptom of high inflation. People surrendering their pets to lower mainland shelters because they can no longer afford to pay for them. We'll have that story tonight. Plus, a shocking discovery at a Victoria playground at 11 will tell you what type of prohibited weapon was stashed under this merry-go-round. The weapon's been seized by police and two people arrested. Chris? Fascinating story. Yes, thank you very much, Jordan. Sounds good. And Squire's back with, uh, we're going to round this out with a nightclub that it's impossible to have a bad time at. Well, it's been a nightclub for a long time. Now, it's been celebrities on Davy for a very long time. But before that, it was a lot of things. It was a steakhouse, I think, briefly. Yeah. It was a strip club briefly. But most of the time, that space on Davy has been a nightclub for a long, long time. Celebrity's nightclub is about as modern as it gets, but if you travel through the smoke machine of time, you'll find this nightclub is also as old as it gets. Oh my God, it's a hundred and something years old. This people, people dancing here, yeah, 107 or eight years, yeah. It started in 1914 as the Leicester Court Ballroom, which was a dance studio that people could go and learn the sort of steps of the day and whatnot. Uh, you know, later on it becomes the Embassy Ballroom. But through the 50s and 60s, it goes through so many different name changes in places that just last a year or so. I guess the big ones would be the Retinal Circus and Dante's Inferno in the 1960s when the sort of psychedelic 60s come in. And it was during those days a lot of future legends played the club. So this is uh, the Doors when they played here in July of 67 and uh, here at Dante's Inferno. So that's when it was known then? That, yeah, it was known as Dante's Inferno. And this, is, this, this hangs out in my office because, again, I love music history and being a part of it. And at Celebrities, both the upstairs and downstairs are part of that history. In fact, before he met Cheech, Tommy Chong ran the downstairs when it was called the Elegant Parlor. 
Um, this is where Chong had his club, and also there, there was also some sort of jazz bar at the time. I don't know the name of it, but we reinstated the space about five years ago. Mm -hmm. But you still have all the original brick from 1916, whenever the building was finished, and, and all this old wood and stuff. Even the upstairs has original parts, like the balcony that you can see in the old photo. It's still there, even after a big renovation. We, we did reface everything, but we kept the shape of the building and the club the same. The Commodore Ballroom probably has a bigger profile as, you know, going back to 1930 as, uh, you know, the entertainment palace in downtown Vancouver. But celebrities, that building, as I say, goes back to 1914, the First World War. The space has something special. I really believe that. And, and again, for us as promoters or club owners, or we can, we can do a great job with concept, but if the space doesn't bring magic, you're done. And this place has had magic for 100 years now. And again, we're just responsible for this phase of it. Right. That's how I feel. How many different types of dancing has mm. been done on that floor? How many people have <laughs> fallen in love and fallen out of love within the walls of that club over it, all those years? It, it could have been called Love Affair, but that's another club that's in another Vancouver. Club. It was another <laughs> great club in Vancouver. Yep. Back in the yeah. day, very cool story. Thanks for showing us that. And last word on weather before we go from Christy. Well, there's really not much more to say other than do not complain about heat over the next few days, everyone. <laughs> I will not listen to it. We have lost the license to do so. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow.